Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you DPS advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, I woke up this morning absolutely covered in copies of A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor, and I I think that I only have my shelf to blame. (laughs) That's my last one. That's my last book-related pun. It's all I got. I only laugh because I'm looking for any (laughs) pinpricks of light amid the darkness. (laughs) I think it's funny because the the, uh, the implication is that I have a shelf that just has copies of my own book on it that I keep directly above my head while I sleep. Well... Our finished copy of A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor arrived over the weekend. And for those of you who don't know, Hank's second novel, A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor, comes out as this podcast is being uh, uploaded tomorrow, July Mm -hmm. 7th, Tuesday, July Mm -hmm. 7th. We have live events, virtual, uh, going on. You can find out more at Hank will insert URL here. HankGreen.com. Great job. Oh, wow. I wish I had JohnGreen.com, but it's that realtor in Southern Mississippi. This is what mom and dad did to you. They gave you a normal name so you couldn't get your domain. I know. And then I did it to both of my children. <laughs> yeah, That's fine. Me. For Henry, I've reserved uh, HenryGreen.TVInfo. And for Alice, I've reserved uh, <laughs> AliceGreen.Russia. <laughs> John, actually, actually, there's a dot green domain name now. So you could oh. probably just get like Henry dot green and Alice dot green and probably not John dot green. That's probably taken. Yeah, I want to. Oh, it's I, not. A, it's available, John. Go get it. No, I want it. I want a dot com. <laughs> I like John Green dot com. It's great. It, 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 it expresses what turns out to have been about one quarter of my career. <laughs> Anyway, our copy of A Beautifully Foolish yeah. Endeavor arrived over the weekend, and I reread it, and it's just such a great book, Hank. Congratulations. It really, I really think it is that rare sequel that is better than the original. It's just, uh, I mean, especially right now, it has helped me understand and think more complexly about the internet and its role in the social order and also its role in my life. And yeah, 
It's just a really great. It's also, of course, a, a rollicking adventure, but the the parable side of it ha- has had me thinking very, very hard of late. Well, thank you. Um, and I'm feeling, you know, as good as as good as I think I could, um, th- you know, right now, uh, a week before publication, and uh, and I'm just uh, like the the first reviews are in and they're very positive and that feels very good. Um, a lot of people who I trust have said really smart things that that feel like they sort of got what I was trying to do. So I'm feeling really good about it, and I can't wait for people to read it. Honestly. So come see our live shows at hankgreen.com. Yes. They won't actually be there, but that's how you find out where they are. That's how you find out about them, yes. All right, Hank, let's answer some questions from our listeners, beginning with this one from Marina, who writes, Dear John and Hank, how can I learn how to dance? I'm okay at like circle dancing Mm. or line dancing, but I can't seem to get the whole put my hands in the air like I just don't care kind of dancing. Marina. Now, Hank, this is relevant to me as well, because... One of the stranger things to me about our siblinghood is that although we were raised in the same home by the same parents, you Mm -hmm. were named the best dancer at all of Winter Park High School in 1998, and I have never had a good moment of dancing in my entire life. Like, I tried to do a TikTok dance, uh, what are they called? Oh, no! Challenge? Yeah. I thought it would be really funny. Well, I didn't. Oh, God gosh. knows I didn't actually upload the TikTok, Hank. You know, I'm excellent news. sticking with yeah. my one TikTok. But I tried to do a TikTok dance challenge just to be like, OK, like this is just a series of repeated body motions and I know how to mm-hmm. make all of them. So I should be able yep. to do this TikTok dance challenge in a way that looks as cool as this person who I'm watching on TikTok. And then I did a video of myself doing the dance and I watched the video and I was like, No, that's terrible. Delete that immediately. Like, I did all the right motions. (laughs) Put it in the fire. But I was terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a couple of, there's a couple of reasons why it might, might have not looked great. I, 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 you know, I think that there's a point here that is interesting to me that we, you know, theoretically share a lot of genetic information and we were raised in the same house. But I, I have to ask, how much MTV's The Grind did you watch? Not a lot. And we did have very different lives, to be fair. And maybe that's part of it. But I hear the music <laughs> and the music flows through okay. me. It's just that, yeah. like, what comes out bodily is all wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. in college, I dated a dance major for a while. Mm. And it was fascinating to learn from them how, like, dance worked in their lives and how like dance became like a bodily expression of art, Mm -hmm. not dissimilar to any other artistic expression. Whereas like to me, dancing is just, it's the height of self-consciousness. Like I'm never more aware of the fact that I have a body than I am when I'm dancing. Yeah. And, and as I've gotten older and my, uh, my body doesn't always move at the speed that I expect it to, I get, I'm, I'm having that sensation more as well. Mm. And also I will watch what happens, uh, in TikTok dances. And I will think to myself, well, I should be able to do that. And then I find that I am incapable of it, which makes me think that actually I learned a lot more than I think I did that I, you know, in the process of watching people dance on my television upstairs in Florida and like dancing along with them, I learned a lot about how to move my body. Can I tell you what the TikTok dance was? 
Which one was it? Was it Cars That Go Boom? It wasn't Cars That Go Boom, although it oh. is lovely to me that one of the songs of our childhood, <laughs> Cars That yeah. Go Boom, has become a TikTok phenomenon. Yeah. No, it was um, ho- the Hokey Pokey, oh. you know, where you uh, do the Hokey Pokey and you turn yourself around and that's what it's all about. You put your left foot in, uh-huh. you put your right foot out, whatever. I've heard of it. I've heard it. Yeah. So it really should have been doable, right? Like it wasn't <laughs> like I was <laughs> like trying to accomplish, you know, what? some kind of balletic feat. What was going through your mind when you set your camera up to record yourself doing the hokey poke? Did you think you were potentially making content? No, 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 no. Of course not. No, I was never going to upload it to TikTok. I was just interested in like... Could I do the dance? And I, I don't know mm-hmm. if I can do the dance until I look at the video. And then and then I know. And the answer was, <laughs> uh-uh. You know, I think that, like, different people do start at different levels. I think this is definitely the case with dancing. But in general, on the internet especially, but also all over our lives, we will watch people who look like they are doing things extremely effortlessly that they actually put a lot of time into. And maybe that was fun time. Maybe like that was dancing and and not training, like not like feeling and seeming like work to them. But a lot of time did go into that. And that's true of whether it's, you know, poetry or dance or art or novels or any of that stuff. Like, video blogs. Uh, and I think that in some cases, we we actually intentionally try to make it seem like very little work went into something when actually a, a lot of time did. Right. That's a very particular aesthetic. And not just on the internet. It also predates the internet of oh, yeah. putting a lot of effort into something that looks dashed off or looks effortless. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, Mm -hmm. I remember as a kid thinking, like, that was in a way the definition of cool. Yeah. You know, it was people who were able to do something where it looked like they weren't trying hard, but it was very good. But of course, the only way to do something very good is to have previously (laughs) tried very, very hard. Yeah. Yeah. In in the quiet darkness of your bedroom in Orlando, Florida. (laughs) Right. Which is why I was trying to learn the hokey pokey. But now I've given up. Okay, well, that's you're good at lots of things, though, which is nice. This next question comes from Hannah, who asks, Dear Hank and John, why do shirts have tags? Maybe in the olden days, they had to put a physical tag inside shirt. But now, can't this be done in other ways? <laughs> tags are itchy. I just cut them off and end up with holes in my shirts. Is it possible that shirt tags are even more useless and outdated than the penny? Please help. Only if you got enough life jackets, Hannah. that's a real that's a that's a throwback reference i barely (laughs) get that reference it's so old (laughs) john uh as you know i am in the merchandise business and so i know more than you'd like to know about t-shirt tags i mean okay so first off we are in the merchandise business (laughs) okay all right so tags uh tags were uh have been a thing for a while really interesting thing once happened where, so yes, tags have to be there legally. They are required uh, for a couple of reasons. Well, the information One, contained in tags has yes. to be there legally. Correct. Correct. You have to, like, say country of origin, and you have to say uh, it is legally required that you tell people how to wash the thing. And that was originally done by putting on what the materials in the shirt were. And so it'd be like, this is cotton. I know how to wash cotton. This is wool. I know how to wash wool. 
Now, shirts and textiles have become very, very complicated now. And so there are lots of different things that you've never heard the name of. So eventually we transition to just like care instructions, but those care instructions also do have to be on on the tag. And sometimes those are just icons and sometimes they're written out in words. Now, there are a couple ways to get around the tag. One is to print the information on the shirt. This is more expensive to do. A second print location can in some cases, you know, almost double the price of a shirt. So that's why it's not done. It's more expensive than to have one thing that's been pre-printed a bunch and then to just sew it in. So one way to get around this was that Haynes did this, where they said, we're going to print the information on the shirt. And then they did this huge ad campaign that basically said that we are because it's 100% cotton, we don't have to have a tag. But that wasn't true. They just sort of like made that sound like that uh, to make it sound like there was like a purity to their shirts that made them so pure they didn't have to have a tag. But really, they just did a second print location. Their sales went up by like 30%. And it was like a Michael Jordan ad. It was a really successful thing. The other is to have tear out tags, which we have on a lot of DFTBA shirts. So the tags are there and then they're removable. Let me ask you a question, Hank. Yes. Would it be legal... To have a shirt with no tag and no secondary print location, Mm -hmm. but where the primary print location is just the instructions. (laughs) Yes, that would be. Yep. So we could make a shirt. You could do that. You could do a shirt. We could make a shirt that just said, yeah, in big letters on the front, made in the United States, Mm -hmm. 100% cotton, machine wash warm. Yep. You could do that. You'd have to find someone to sell you a shirt without a tag, though, which also a mate might not be allowed so you'd have to you'd have to <laughs> you have to go like you'd have to basically have a cut and sew operation i'm very um, fond of the idea of a dear hank and john t-shirt that says dear hank and john <laughs> made in the united states 100 cotton machine wash warm <laughs> and that's all <laughs> sizing is also important so you have to oh i don't want to have no no then i'm out i yep. do not want to have the size on the primary print location i do not i'm not interested in that <laughs> at all moving on next question i thought i had a million dollar idea but it turns out my oh, idea is terrible it. and we should not do it next question <laughs> isabella writes dear john and hank now i understand you might not be able to tell the truth about this on the pod but Have either of you ever written and published a book under a pen name so as not to ride on your own success? Oh, Isabella, it is so kind (laughs) of you to think that the main reason one of us would write under a pen name would be to not ride on our own success, as if Hank or I has anything approaching that level of goodness and generosity in our hearts. If yes, can you recommend the book? (laughs) No, I mean, Isabella. So obviously, and I don't want to speak for you, Hank, but if I wrote a book under a pen name, I wouldn't reveal it because the whole point of writing under the pen name would be to be able to write as someone other than myself. Mm -hmm. Not so that I couldn't take advantage of of past success, but so that I could, in a way, be, be free from whatever you know, expectations right. people bring to my name. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ruin that on an episode of the podcast, but also as it happens, I've never done it because <laughs> each time yeah. I'm writing a novel, I think like, oh, I'll publish this one anonymously. And then I get to the end of the first draft and I'm like, nah, 
I think I want to. I think I want to use my name. Yeah, I want. I want to reach people and have my audience know about this. Right. And, like make them happy and like provide them with more stuff. Yeah. I, is that usually the case? Like I, I'd never. I'd never really questioned this, but I. I guess there was this idea in my head that like this might be a reason to use a pen name is to is to get out from under the idea that my success is based on previous success. But if you did that, I think what you'd learn is that your success is based on previous success. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I've I've made some TikToks that are like I want to like basically pretend like I'm not Hank Green and upload a thing that is doesn't have my face and it doesn't have my voice in it, but is funny. And those like don't do as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so there are actually a bunch of authors who've had that experience, right? Like J.K. Rowling wrote as Robert Galbraith and got like, Mm -hmm. you know, medium to good reviews and sold almost no copies, which is the story for, you know, 90% of fiction. Mm -hmm. I have friends who publish under other names that aren't connected to their name and they they have similar experiences. I I also have friends who publish under different names uh, that aren't connected to their sort of public facing names, I guess. Yeah. And they tend to have similar experiences. And I think if I published a book under a different name with, you know, attempting to obscure the fact that it was written by me, it would do poorly. Yeah. <laughs> would do comparatively poorly. Yeah. I've never created anything, I don't think, that wasn't using my name. And I wanted to once and then I gave up immediately. I I do have a moderately successful private Reddit account that is devoted to talking about soccer. And I will never reveal its identity because it would take all of the joy out of those inane soccer conversations for me. That's great. I'm glad. I have nothing like that. Well, I, instead of that, I just have actual, like, just my normal life where none of my friends care about my job. Yeah, that's good. I mean, none of my friends care about my job either. In fact, I think most of my friends kind of think that, like, I don't really have a job anymore Mm. because my job is, like, that I used to publish those books. (laughs) Right. (laughs) This next question comes from Mallory, who asks, Dear Hank and John, Okay, so you know how some people use air quotes when talking to each other? Well, I was thinking, who even came up with that and how would it get passed on? I'm just imagining the first ever person to use air quotes doing it and then the person they're talking to being like, wait, what the hell was that? <laughs> I need I need my curiosity satiated, Mallory. That is so, that is such a just, there was yeah. a first person who was like this thing. And someone was like, whoa, all right, bunny man. Well, no, because I think the original use of air quotes was not in quite such a sarcastic context. Okay. Like, I kind of even slightly remember this from the late 1990s. Mm. And I might be wrong, but this is my personal memory of, like, my college years, is that people would use air quotes, like, to actually quote people, but not in a pejorative way. Right. (laughs) You know, it would be like, and then he was like, I love you too. And you would use air quotes over I love you too, but it didn't have the same meaning. And then I think, like, over time, that's my theory, is that over time, it it became the meaning that it has now starting out in an unsarcastic, unironic way. Right. Just an, just an evolution. Like you have to have some first step on the process and you have many steps until you finally get to where we're at with air quotes now. Right. That's interesting. Um, and, and it would explain how it would get sort of passed from person to person. Um, but I also like it's fairly self-explanatory. And I do look a little bit like I got two little bunnies and they're like hopping along. Well, I think people get the idea that it's a quote, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that they get the if you will part of it just from the 
image of air quotes. I think that right. it's also in the intonation. And that And that's really, that's so, actually weird. You can actually hear when I'm doing air quotes, even when I'm not doing air quotes. Yeah. So that's often the case on the Anthropocene Reviewed because, you know, I write them out in advance, but the only version uh-huh. of them that exists is audio. And I find myself mm-hmm. like in the studio doing the air quotes. Right. And you can totally hear it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny the things that you can hear. I think the human voice, more and more I think this, that like we, our, our primary method, method of communication is voice. Like, you know, traditionally, and this is what we've like dedicated a huge amount of our cognitive resources to, like being able to make these noises and interpret them is really complicated and wild. And I'm starting to think that, like, the voice is the thing and that a society that, like, divorces uh, voice from meaning, as we do often on the social internet, is a... is a a society that has that has lost a lot of context and and you know is has a much easier time sort of assuming negative intent and I like voice. Yeah, okay, but counter argument, voice doesn't have to be audible, right? Because like voice also exists in American sign language and I would argue that voice yeah. exists in side of internet speak too. Like there's a difference between LOL and L-O-L-L-L-L-L-L. There's a difference between this sucks and this sucks. Like I feel like on the internet, we're in the process of developing strategies for inserting voice into text, but it's a process and not everybody's on the same page. For sure, right. It is gonna take. It's gonna take a while for that to happen, and also like it's been. It's been something else. Like being an internet native, as a lot of people are new to the thing, and I'm like, I don't understand how you're using this tool because I've been doing it for a long time, and there's a lot of cultural understanding I have around this that you do not, and so like we are using it in very different ways and imagining it in very different ways. Yeah, all the time, all of us need to try to be a little more aware of the limited context we bring to conversations Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the ways that our limited context can shape and distort those conversations. Yeah. All right, Hank, let's move on to this question from Laura, who writes, Dear John and Hank, sometimes at my job as a care worker, I have to do night shifts, and one of the duties is to answer the phone. And my question is, what do I say when I answer the phone at two o'clock in the morning? It is no longer good evening, but is it good morning yet, really? (laughs) It's not technically morning, and I can't say good night, Laura speaking, or it sounds as if I'm going to tell them a bedtime story. (laughs) I guess I could just say hello, but that doesn't seem very professional. Language and landlines, Laura, just in case you think that like language is finished, Hank, it's not. <laughs> yeah, we, we, it's never we finished. We don't have words for picking up the phone at 2 a.m. That's I, not a thing. I remember you when I You worked... certainly can't say good night, which is interesting. Like good evening is a greeting. Good night is always an end. That's when you, that's how you say goodbye. Yeah. Good night is never how you say hello. It is weird that good evening means hello and good night means goodbye. Like I had never thought yeah, of that until weird. just now. But you can't weird. say good evening at two o'clock in the morning because no, it ain't. I remember when I worked the graveyard shift at Steak and Shake, there was a regular who would come in at like 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning every single night or day, depending mm-hmm. on your worldview, mm-hmm. I guess. And yeah. he would walk in and he would say, good morning. Ow, I just hit something. 
Um, and he would say, good morning. And I would always be like, no, it's not. Not on either level. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's morning if you've slept, you know? He hadn't. <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess it is. Laura, I think that you're safe saying good morning at two o'clock in the morning because it is technically two o'clock in the morning. And also the people that you're likely talking to since they're calling you are presumably awake on some level. So I think you can say good morning. <laughs> yeah. I also think that you can you can go to a more traditional uh, approach and, and be like, you know, blank residence, this person speaking, or if it's a facility, like the name of the facility. Um, so there like there are there are like actual professional ways to do it. Uh, but I'm not sure who you who you're answering the phone for, because when I right, answer the it, phone at two o'clock in the morning, what I say is what's wrong. <laughs> no, but if it's like a patient, you don't want to like announce the name of yeah. the facility where they know that they are staying before saying this is Laura. Like you could <laughs> right, also right. You could also just say this is Laura. Yeah. I've always thought that that's a pretty succinct way mm-hmm. to get to because the whole job of saying hello right, is to get to the point. It's the the whole, right? Because like the whole job of saying hello is to establish that the connection has been made. Like that's the reason the word hello was literally invented. It was literally invented for the telephone as a way of saying like, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Do I ever say hello not on the phone? Hmm. I usually say howdy or how are you or good afternoon or something like that. You have a very particular way of saying hello on the phone, too. I don't know if you know that. But do I? Tell me more. It's 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 slightly resigned and world weary. You say hello. <laughs> <laughs> like usually when you call somebody on the phone. Hello, this is H. Usually, yeah, totally. <laughs> usually when you call someone on the phone, they say hello as a question mark, like because they don't know what's on the other end of the line, but yeah. you you, uh-huh. you act as if you do know, as if you know exactly what's about to happen, and you say, hello. Well, it is, it is, every time you call me, I know it's you, so maybe that's just the yeah. hello that you get. And to be fair, like, I don't generally call with good news. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, usually to, yeah. when we call each other, it's because there's a problem. If it's good yeah, news... Yeah, or we're about to record a podcast. Yeah, if it's good news, we text. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday. <laughs> if it's good news, I'll just make you a video. That's <laughs> true. Hello. John, I have another question. It's from JJ, who asks, Dear Hank and John, Hello! I'm a high school senior who just finished my first internship. Hello. That's <laughs> right there. It's actually in the question. It was fine. I enjoyed the internship, but my primary takeaway was that I don't like meetings. Should I be concerned about this? How can I become a functioning adult if I don't like meetings? They seem very important to adult life. The first Google result of my name is a Swedish band, JJ. JJ, you got to get yourself into a position of power. It's going to take a bunch of meetings. But once you're there, then you can get rid of the meetings. Yeah, and then what you'll find, JJ, is that you slowly have to reintroduce the meetings one by one because it <laughs> turned out that they were all there for a reason. So, so JJ, if this internship occurred during lockdown, I do have like a small piece of good news, which is that in-person meetings are slightly, very slightly less unbearable than Zoom meetings. Yes. I also think it's very important that you try and schedule meetings for the appropriate on- amount of time. And I know that you're not a person who's in charge of this, but for the people who are, 
Well, if you are JJ's superior and you are planning these meetings, do not just let them go on for the amount of time that they take because no. there's a weird thing about meetings. Yes. They will take exactly as long as you plan them to take. Yes. If you say it's going to be 50 minutes, it's going to take 50 minutes. If you say it's going to be 15, it's going to take 15. As you know, as you know, Hank, I am a huge believer in not only in ending meetings early, oh, yeah. but in celebrating mm-hmm. the success oh, yeah. that is inherent to ending a meeting early. Oh, yeah. So when we end a meeting early at Complexly Indianapolis, I try to thank each and every person for making this special moment possible. <laughs> That's one thing. The other thing is that it is possible to live in a world without meetings, even like if you work in an office setting. Like, it isn't possible for us in our work. It isn't possible for lots of other kinds of work. But like, when I worked at Booklist Magazine as a production editor and as an assistant, there were a lot of meetings in the sense that I would I would go and I would talk to people I worked with and I would have questions for them and I would get those questions answered. And sometimes we would gather in small groups and have those conversations. But because they were not scheduled or formalized, they lasted much less time and they were like far more efficient. And there was only one meeting a year. Ooh. Now, admittedly, I look back on that time of my life with a level of nostalgia that is inappropriate to how happy I actually was in those years. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. While the years of like my early adulthood were probably uh, the worst of my life so far, the lack of meetings was the great saving grace of it all. <laughs> I would go weeks, <laughs> months sometimes, uh, without even thinking about a meeting. This is not a familiar idea to me. Though I guess I did also have jobs where I had very, very few meetings. I've forgotten what that life is like. Which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by meetings. Meetings, everyone hates them, but they still happen. This podcast is also brought to you by Air Quotes. Air quotes. It's when you want to say something. This podcast is also brought to you by Hank's pseudonymously written novel. Hank's pseudonymously written novel. <laughs> a adverbally adjectived noun. Uh, the wild thing about this is that the question asker thought that either of us would have had time to do anything they don't know about. <sighs> This podcast is also brought to you by the Shirt Tags. Shirt Tags. They have vitally important information that is legally required to be on the shirt somewhere. We also have a Project for Awesome message. It's from Dragish to Iwana. Hello, Iwana. Pingu here. Shout out for being an awesome person, but I decided to take drastic measures to get your attention. Panda feels like he's being ignored. Narwai thinks you should be training more. You never know when the apocalypse comes. Let's avoid having a switch Azora for Corgi and Narwai to Leo mission anytime soon. You and Dragush would never notice. I have no idea what just happened, but I yeah, said all the words. I understood none of that. <laughs> I think I know what a corgi is. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I think that we were meant to not understand. Yes, I believe that was a code that begins World War III. And I, for one, <laughs> am ready to be remembered by history. <laughs> This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you 
have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly ship to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. <laughs> the podcast that launched it all off. This next question comes from Sherry, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I've been watching Vlogbrothers for a while, and I've noticed that you two use the same account to both post and watch slash comment on other videos. But why? Like, I don't imagine your YouTube recommendations are very representative of what you actually want to watch, and it just seems pretty inconvenient. Well, actually, yeah, our YouTube recommendations on the Vlogbrothers channel are totally representative of what we want to watch because the only two people who watch videos on the Vlogbrothers channel are me and Hank. And what I have experienced anyway is that Hank introduces me to a lot of new sides of YouTube that I turn out to enjoy. Yeah, and John introduces me to people playing Tetris and yelling about soccer. <laughs> yeah yeah not that that's that there's there's definitely more to it like yeah i mean i find all kinds of stuff because john has been watching it and like i just went to our youtube channel and there's like speed runs of video games which john is super into but like i also like watching them but wouldn't see them if not for if not for having john yeah and and we introduce each other to like new history channels and different educational channels mm-hmm. as well so in some ways it's almost a way that we can communicate without communicating. Yeah. Like it's a way that we can share each other's interests without having to like formalize a strategy for it, which I really love. Now, you have to get the right person to share your YouTube account with. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Like it's yeah. got to be a lifelong, deep relationship. <laughs> but yeah, it, I think it's great. I would suggest it. I, I, th- I think that my YouTube page is better than it would be without you. I definitely feel the same way. And I, I also think that if, if you weren't there to like, I, there's a certain amount of like stuff I might watch that I don't because I know that you'll know. <laughs> yeah, you don't hate like <laughs> too, too, yeah, too much hate. Um, so and, and then it like shows up and you, John texts me and is like, what did you watch? Yeah, well, what did you watch? Why are these things being suggested? Yeah, yeah. It only takes like one 45 minute conspiracy theory video to really reshape the YouTube algorithm (laughs) suggestions to us. And so I do. I text Hank and I'm like, please stop watching these videos that do nothing but make you angry because the algorithm doesn't care if you're angry or happy or well informed. It only cares that you're there. Yeah. 
And it wants to, it wants to drag you in too. The, the algorithm's goal is to get you to pay a lot of attention to the platform. Mm-hmm. And however yep. it can draw you deeply in down the rabbit hole, mm-hmm. it's going to take you there. And I, for one, think speedruns and high-level competitive Nest Tetris are the the very best that YouTube has to offer. <laughs> John, this next question comes from Kate, who asks, Dear Hank and John, for the past few weeks, I've been having a weird dream in which my family moves and I go to a new school, which is normal until I talk to a girl and then she turns into a lobster while I'm talking to her mm. and then she chases me around with her lobster hands. Yeah. What does it mean? With Kate Expectations, Kate. Man, we haven't had enough good name-specific sign-offs lately. That was great. Thank you. But it doesn't mean anything. Uh, Well, but it's recurring. Right. First of all, lobsters don't have hands. They have claws. Well, we don't know what lobster people have, Hank. Okay, so... <laughs> Let's not tell Kate that her dream is an- anatomically incorrect. She's already going through okay. a difficult enough time. But I have like not exactly that recurring dream, but like similar recurring dreams. And what I enjoy about it is that if you have the dream enough, it almost becomes like Groundhog Day, where right before the person at the new school turns into the lobster person, you can think to yourself, she's about to become a lobster person. <laughs> And that's when you start to really have control over the dream. Because I have some like pretty scary recurring nightmares. Mm -hmm. But if I on the occasions when I'm able to be aware of it enough to be like, oh, I bet the uh, I bet the weird, horrible thing is about to happen. And then it happens. And I'm like, knew it. (laughs) Called it. There's a there's a little level. There's a little level of control in that for me. So what does it mean? It means that you're anxious about life and your brain is throwing anxiety-producing scenarios at you to try and maybe inure you to future or prepare you to future uh, stressors, yeah. probably is what we think. That yeah. dream, one of the reasons why we have these stressful dreams. Um, why, what does it mean that the that the, the source of the stress is a lobster girl? Nothing. Right. It's just your brain trying to come up with something that sounds stressful. It's like, what's what do you got in like the stress bank? Lobsters? <laughs> All right, that that's good, but like, also something else, uh, meeting someone for the first time. Great, great. We're just going to put those two things together. Exactly. I think all of us are maybe trying to process a little more anxiety than usual. And so it's going to be lobster people for a while. <laughs> That's my summary of 2020. Hank, before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I just want to say a personal thank you to the several of you who wrote in to say congratulations to Liverpool on winning the Premier League. Many of you uh, are also Liverpool fans, and and uh, and it meant as much to some of y'all as it meant to me. People in Liverpool are often called Scouse. In fact, uh, there's a, a sign, famous sign held up in the stands at Anfield that says, we're not English, we're Scouse. And one Liverpudlian, Jen, wrote in and said, to be Scouse is to persist, to be resilient, to keep waiting and hoping until one day. And that day for Liverpool fans has arrived. And while obviously sports are not important, um, for me, Liverpool winning the Premier League is, is a reminder that, uh, as as they say in, in the Liverpool song, you'll never walk alone, though your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone. So thanks to everybody who wrote in about that. And um, I'm really, 
really happy that Liverpool won the Premier League after 30 years. It's pretty, pretty great uh, development amid dark times. Um, the news from, from AFC Wimbledon this week, Hank, is also uh, encouraging. One of our better players last season uh, is a young man named Shane McLaughlin, and there was some uncertainty about his contract because the club is under a lot of financial stress. Obviously, it's, you know, a, a lot of players have had to be uh, released, but uh, we have just signed Shane McLaughlin up for another season of hard, hard work in AFC Wimbledon's midfield. So that's encouraging. Shane McLaughlin is the kind of player who can keep us in League One for another season. So I'm excited about well, that. Well, I'm glad. Um, and I'm, I guess that's. I guess we're headed into that part of the news cycle where we're going to hear about whether or not you've, you're keeping your players yeah. and what new players you're getting. Next week, I'll share the names of the 43 players we had to release. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) well, the news from Mars is uh, does also make the the anxious noise. Uh, Oh, no. Perseverance launch has been pushed back again. Oh, no. Still a big window. Still a big window. Um, so on June 24th, NASA announced that there was a contamination issue in the ground support lines. And I don't know what this means. What is but that? My, my, so I know what ground support is. Ground support is the, the people who help out with getting things that go up to go up, but they themselves do not go up. Right. I, I know. Yeah. But what is a c- contamination in the lines? I don't even know what a ground support line is. But what I'm imagining is possums. So right. it's, you know, like something like that, or maybe there was water where there shouldn't have been water, or there was carbon dioxide where there shouldn't have, I don't know, but it might have been possums. So there's contamination in the ground support lines, and that came, that that happened as the rover was being encapsulated in the Atlas V rocket. The launch was originally scheduled for July 17th, got pushed back to July 20th. Now it is pushed back to July 22nd. So uh, they have to clean up that, whatever that is, in the ground support line. I'm just guessing possums. And then uh, the rocket itself seems to be all good. The company building the rocket, United Launch Alliance, pulled off a wet dress rehearsal, which includes fueling the rocket. So that all went well. The launch window is through August 11th. But I mean, July 22nd to August 11th is not a huge period. And if they miss that, it's a 19-month wait, right? It might be possible to extend through August 15th. So basically, what's happening is at that point, we're getting farther and farther away from Mars. Right. And so you have to use more fuel um, and then you have less fuel left over for contingency. And then so then the the decision-making point means like, do we want to dip into our contingency fuel or do we want to wait two years for another launch? So August 15th, honestly, probably we would still launch if that was there. But yes, um, July 22nd is the current launch date and everybody cross your fingers for that. I will definitely keep my fingers crossed. I'm starting to get nervous already. And that's unfortunate because I I already had, as it happens, a full complement of anxieties. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know uh-huh. it's like when you're uh when you're when you're playing uno and you already have the largest hand and someone gives you that that wild draw four <laughs> you're like really yeah. i know <laughs> sorry uh it's okay but the news is the news the news is the news 
Thanks for uh, potting with right, me, John. Hank. <laughs> all right, John. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.